Hello and welcome. It's about time we ditched things down on planet Earth, don't you think? Are you ready? Let's go on an adventure. It's a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Hello, welcome along. My name's Dan. This is the show where we learn about all the amazing, brilliant experiments, discoveries and secrets that are lurking all across the universe and even beyond that. Thanks for listening. This week, we'll chat to a team of students representing Team GB in an actual rocket building competition. There's a huge range of different types of rockets. There are 10 classes that we fly while, while we're out there. One of those is a boost glider. So it goes up and comes down as a plane. Another is a gyrocopter. It goes up as a rocket and then comes down as a helicopter. And those are really difficult to engineers. They sort of go up as one medium and come down as a completely different one. And we'll head across the galaxy ourselves, going to deep space high, looking at robots of the future. Some robots are coded to learn so that they can start to create their own code. This is very advanced AI, but at this stage it's something under development, but may be possible in the future. Cool! And I've got your questions as always to answer. This week, it's all about what's in your mouth and how planets are made, how they are born. We'll find out in a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's get into it with your science in the news. Now, you know when you're on a flight and things get a bit bumpy? That's called turbulence. Now, it's nothing normally to worry about, but it turns out that we're getting more of it. As climate change has warmed the planet, scientists have found there's been more turbulence up in the air because of faster winds. This is all happening because the planet is heating up down low. It means the gas is heating up up high. And as different hot and cold air moves around each other, we get more turbulence. Now, it's normally nothing to worry about, but it shows of all the different impacts that the climate crisis is having across every aspect of our life. Also, a new British satellite is going to find out how hot buildings are. It's called, check out this for a name, the HotSat 1. And it's pretty small. It will take pictures to map how hot buildings are getting from way up high, particularly how much heat they're releasing. And this will show how much energy is being wasted by homes not keeping heat inside. This is really useful because energy is very precious. So we can't really afford any being wasted. So making sure our homes are very well insulated will help us save that energy. And also, finally, an old perfume bottle has been discovered and it shows what ancient people smelt like. I mean old, really old. It's from 2,000 years ago. It was found in a burial site dug up over in Spain. Scientists found an egg-shaped case inside was a small bottle with a thick chunk of what experts think was a type of perfume that people wore at the time. One of the ingredients in it is patchouli. This is a plant in the mint family. It's still made in perfumes today. Makes a very earthy smell. It's incredible. Not just that we use the same ingredients today that we've used for thousands of years to make ourselves smell differently, but that we've been able to figure out using tiny ingredients what our way old ancestors might have smelt like too. All right, it's time to spin the wheel of the A to Z of engineering right now. I still love this series. For the last few weeks or so, we've been learning all about what is made 
about who made it, about what it does, about why they came up with it and what, how it's still useful today. It's all about engineering. We've been going A to Z from acoustics through to zoos over at Engineer Academy with our best mate, the engineering expert, Engers. Uh, now, in each episode, we spin the wheel to find out what we're learning about this week. So Engers, take it away. Hello and welcome to another Engineering Academy, where we're exploring an A to Z of everything engineering. Let's spin the wheel and see where we're engineering today. Over to Engers to spin the wheel. It's you and you is for upcycling. Did you know we use around 30 different electrical devices every day in our homes? From our alarm clocks and electric toothbrushes to our washing machines and televisions. And when you think how many homes there are, well, that's a lot of devices. And when we don't want them anymore, we often just throw them away. And in doing so, we're throwing away some of the most precious materials on our planet. Gold, aluminium, platinum, as well as silicon, steel, aluminium and plastics. In the UK, we throw away around 155,000 tonnes of electricals each year. And let's not forget about the 500 million plus devices that we no longer use and just keep in the back of a cupboard. Now, as we've been finding out in this series, engineers are experts at solving problems. And so to reclaim these hidden treasures, teams are working on ways to recover more of these precious materials. And the great thing is that it's a process you can be part of. Over to you, Engers. Each year, we could salvage more than £850 million of precious metals from old electricals, including enough gold to make more than 850,000 rings. That's why it's important to recycle, repair or donate electricals we no longer need. And it's not just big things like TVs and fridges. Some of the best hidden treasures are inside small electrical items like kettles, hairdryers and straighteners and electric toothbrushes. And let's not forget all of those electrical cables and old laptops. It's estimated there's enough unwanted cables to go around the world five times. If we recycled our old laptops, we could save 980,000 tonnes of CO2 emissions. So how can we turn old devices into gold? First of all, and the easy part, we need to take any unwanted devices to electric recycling points. From here, they go to a reprocessing plant where they're sorted and broken apart to retrieve the mechanisms. Each of the different materials are sorted into types. For the metals, it's into a shredder. Magnets separate steel and other ferrous metals, whilst electrical currents remove other metals. Plastics are sorted into different types and ground up. These recovered metals and plastics become valuable commodities to the UK economy and can become new products, from bicycles to life-saving defibrillators. So how can you get involved? It's as easy as ABC. Ask. First of all, find out if your old electrical devices contain batteries or bulbs. Remove these before recycling. You also need to make sure any personal data is removed from smart devices and computers. So delete the data and remove the memory cards. Next, bag it. Find a bag you can use to store all these devices. Having all the items in one place can be an encouraging way to seek out more items to recycle. Finally, check. Look online to find your nearest repair, reuse or recycling point. Some councils and charities even collect from your home. 
The more materials we can save means a more sustainable future for the technology we use, as well as helping reduce emissions. What's not to like? Thanks, Engers. There are many engineering roles associated with upcycling, creating machinery that can dismantle devices and remove the valuable minerals and resources, developing new products and materials that can be used by the byproducts from recycling, like fabrics for clothes we wear or materials for new footpaths. And that's our take on the letter U. It's been unbelievable. Check out the Fun Kids website to find out how you can upcycle near where you live. If you'd like to check out some other types of engineering, why not check out utilities or underground engineering? Engineer Academy, created with support from the Royal Academy of Engineering. If you would like to find out more about the A to Z, visit funkidslive.com engineer. Let's get to your questions then. I love this part of the show. It's my favourite part, absolutely, because I get to do the digging. I get to learn. I get to become a genius, all thanks to you and the brilliant questions that you've been asking. There are a few ways you can do that. You can leave it as a voice note on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. You can also drop them as a review on Apple Podcasts. That's what Emily has done, who wants to know, what's the difference between baby teeth and adult teeth? Now, there are a lot of differences. Uh, Normally, when you get your milk teeth, that's what we call baby teeth, you get them when you're about six months old and you only get about 20 of them. Adults get about 32 teeth and they start breaking through about six years later. Adult teeth are tougher and thicker. They have a bigger layer of enamel around the edge. That's the thick protective armour of your teeth, really, around the side. Uh, They've got more grooves in it as well, which help you chew bigger food as you grow up. Adult incisors, those are the uh, the sharp ones just off the middle, uh, They the ones that look like fangs. Uh, they're even sharper when you grow up because you need to bite, you need to really chew through the harder foods that you're eating. Basically, milk teeth that you start off with, they are placeholders. They let your gums know where your adult teeth need to grow into, but you don't need everything that you do uh, to grow your adult ones yet. You need to wait a little while for that. Thank you so much, Emily. Let's get on another question. Also from Apple Podcasts, Yusuf has dropped a review there who wants to know, how are planets made? Now, at the very start of the solar system, there was a lot of material swirling around. Some of the bigger bits of that stuff clumped together to form our sun. After the sun was made, there was still some dust and gas left over, kind of in its orbit, but not really pulling towards its gravity. And as these things got bigger, they got more gravity. They collected even more space stuff, so they kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, sucking bits of dust and rock and elements together until they became planets. Now, scientists have defined what a planet is. This is amazing. Planets have been around for billions of years. It took them ages to do it. They only came up with this definition in 2006. For a planet to be a planet, it needs to orbit its largest star. For us, that's the sun. It needs to be big enough to have gravity to squeeze into a sphere shape like the Earth. And it needs to have enough gravity to have cleared other stuff near it from the sun. It needs to have joined up with smaller things nearby, perhaps even have an orbit of its own like we do with the moon. And these planets take millions of years to form, Yusuf. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, If you have anything sciencey that you want answered next week on the podcast, uh, you can do that 
by dropping a voice note to me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. And remember, every single month, we do a very special, exclusive episode filled with just your questions. The only way that you can listen to that is by subscribing to the show over at Fun Kids Podcasts Plus. I think it's time for another Dangerous Dan, where we take a look at some of the most mean, amazing, wicked and strange things in the universe. This week, we are carrying on looking at some of the strangest animal defence mechanisms in the world. And we're looking at the potato beetle, which is a tiny bug. It's about one centimetre long. It's got a bright yellow body with blackish brown stripes running down its back. You'll usually find it in the Rocky Mountains over in America. That's where it started. It's since kind of travelled further into Europe. Now, they're normally eaten by other larger beetles and bugs, but they've come up with a strange, stinking way of defending themselves. The potato beetle eats a very poisonous plant called nightshade, which we've talked about as a dangerous stand before. Then it covers itself in its own poo, which has got some of this deadly nightshade in it. It's cased in what experts call a faecal shield. That way, anything that tries to bite into it will get a mouthful of this stinking, disgusting and deadly goo. That's why it's got a bright yellow body. It doesn't want to be bitten into because then it'll die, but it wants predators to know, look, if you do do that, you're going to have a horrible time themselves. And I love the way the animal kingdom comes up with these incredible ways of keeping themselves alive and by making sure all of their family survives in the future. And that's why the stinking, goo-covered potato beetle goes straight onto our Dangerous Dan list. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. This week on the show, we're chatting to one of the country's best rocket builders and designers. So good, he's going to the USA to try and take on the world. Ted is from Junior Team GB Rocketry and joins us. Ted, thank you for being there. Hiya, thank you for having me on. You've got to tell us, why did you start getting into rocketry? What was it so fascinating that you had to get involved? Well, I mean, you always see on the television, don't you, the the biggest and the best rocket launches that are coming out, whether it's SpaceX and Elon Musk or, um, I don't know, Blue Origin, perhaps you may have seen at home. Um, and it is really fascinating to see them go up and you can see the flames coming out. It's just a, it's a wonderful sight for anyone, let alone a, a rocketry enthusiast like myself and some of your listeners at home. But like, I love rockets. But I've never tried to build one because they're really, really hard. Like, how old were you when you started to play around with these things and make them? And what could you do at school to help out? Yeah, so I was only eight years old, actually, when I started in primary school. Um, And that's when, when my love of rocketry sort of festered into more of a hobby. I think the pr- the problem really is that people just don't really know how to get involved with rocketry. I think lots of people enjoy the the hobby but don't know where to start. And I think that that's really important that we get the message across that there are places to go. I mean, if you ask your local engineering club, even go go into school and say this is what I'm interested in, there there are loads of opportunities to get involved i think you'll find and your teachers will be more than happy uh, and people like myself i d- i don't mind coming c- coming wherever and helping you out that's what that's what people in the rocketry field do we come and help each other um and i think there really is a nice community out here uh, among rocket scientists and i do recommend people to get involved 
just ask around and that there is opportunities for everyone. Like, what did you get for Christmas when, like, when, when you're building rockets? Like, I don't know, some people get games, consoles, PlayStations, Switches, that kind of thing. Were you just getting different thrusters and, like, different wings to come off it? What was the deal? Yes, yes, some of that stuff. Um, sort of basic uh, hobby, like, wooden materials, cardboard tubes. Um, but you, you can even find kits out there, very basic kits that are quite cheap, quite easy to assemble. They're always a good place to start. How big is the rocketry scene in the UK? How many amateur rocket enthusiasts are making these things all the time? Because you've competed in competitions in this country too, right? Yes, yeah. Um, there's a lot more than you think, actually. There are events every weekend all across the all across the UK in different countries like Wales and Scotland as well. And you can see up to hundreds of people turning up to each of these every weekend. I have been involved in national competitions against the best in the UK. Uh, they happen once a year and you go and you compete for medals and places at world championships. What's the most impressive thing you have ever helped create before you got involved to head out to America with Team GB? So when you get into rocketry, you find all of these things called different certifications. And what it means is you're qualified to build the next step up, a little bit bigger, a little bit more powerful, and then it's an extra level of danger. Um, And so I got my level one certification a couple of years ago, and that is really, it's quite special to, to see. And you can feel it in your heart, the, the rumble of the engine when it goes up. There are steps after that, but uh, ever since I got that qualification, I sort of took a step uh, into the finer side of the engineering, which is the British team and what they do for the world championship models. How big are the rockets that you and other rocket enthusiasts in the UK tend to make i mean we're not talking you know spacex that's halfway to mars no there is a huge vary though you can get tiny little kits that go on motors the size of your pinky finger and then you get rockets that are taller than you sometimes taller than your house as well i once saw a rocket that was about the same size as a three-story house (laughs) it's so amazing that this happens and i have like been all over science my life i've done this podcast for years and years and i can't believe i'm just finding out about it and i mentioned right at the start you are going to the usa to take on the world tell us more about who you're going with how long you're there what's the competition what do you need to do okay so the competition is a world championships the best from every country in the world that's taken part come to to one location to compete against each other and there are different specifications for each of the rockets uh, that basically means you've got to make your rocket do a certain thing and whoever can do that the best sort of wins the gold medal there's a huge range of different types of rockets there are 10 classes that we fly while while we're out there one of those is a boost glider so it goes up and comes down as a plane another is a gyrocopter it goes up as a rocket and then comes down as a helicopter and those are really difficult to engineers they sort of go up as one medium and come down as a completely different one you go out there with the rest of the british team the the british team and every other national team is split up into two sections and that is the junior team and the senior team so if you're under the age of 18 then you'd be in the junior team like i am myself and you compete against then the best juniors in the world rather than the seniors so they are separated so that you're not in the deep end what other countries do you know are taking part 
Um, I think there's 20 countries at the moment taking part um, from all across the globe. We've got America, the hosts, which um, they have the most people attending. Um, We've got most mid-European, Western European, like Slovakia, Serbia, Germany, Italy. And then we've even got China, they're attending as well. It's it's really all across the globe you can find this. Um, and I think that's what's so special. You have all these different cultures, different designs you find in the rocket that are based on environmental factors and everything. And when they all come together, you can learn from one another in these competitions. So you're making 10 different rockets, is that right? So there's 10 different classes. And actually, you have to make a few rockets per class because in in the eventuality that something does go wrong, you then have to be prepared to, to go and pull out another model ready for your next flight. How long have you spent designing all of these rockets? So just for this competition in Texas in a couple of weeks, uh, I've been spending two years refining my models. So I would go every month, most weekends I'd be working on these from morning to night, trying to get them to the very edge, the the very challenging bits of engineering. And that's what gives you your, your margin against your competitors. And you're going out there with Wilf and Charlie. They're on, on your team too. When you're making stuff together uh are there any like proper grown-ups adults around or is it just you three kind of doing your own thing so you do have the senior team and they often are very helpful they share their advice uh, and they can they can even help you build your models uh while we're back here in the uk uh obviously when we're in texas we're going to be a bit more on our own um as it's sort of competition you need you need to know what you're doing for the competition but there are loads of people back here to help you uh, if you want to get involved and certainly when I got involved all of the seniors were very helpful for me Um, when you go to these competitions just in the UK it's it's less of a competition feeling and more of a weekend you go out and enjoy and if you come away with a medal then that's great but you do learn from each of the weekends you go how high are you hoping your rockets get in the sky? So you have classes which have specific altitudes that you have to hit. So one of our models has to reach a thousand feet. Um, and then if you go over, you lose points. If you go under, you lose points as well. So it's, it's really challenging. You've got to get the exact altitude. There is one class that I came away with a silver medal in uh, not too long ago, and that was an altitude class, which means you've got to get as high as possible. Um, But the catch is they're on the lowest power motors you can find in the world. And so you need to make your model incredibly lightweight, and you have to work on these models for years to refine them, to refine the stability and everything. And those models often go up to, I'd say, about 400 feet, 500 feet. Let's do a little bit of humble bragging here, Ted, and you can do it about yourself. What? Obviously, you've done it for a long time. What is it that you think has made you be in Team GB? Why were you able to make a very light rocket with minimal power, was able to win silver and power through the air? What have you got, do you think, that helps you out with that? I think it really is just the practice. When Once you get involved and you, and you go every month, you've just got to keep on working. Um, and I know some people's models, they come along and because they just haven't got the the years of practice that I have, they, they're just not quite, they just don't quite have the qualifying edge um, as models that have been refined for, say, a year, two years. 
Um, I would also say it's really important to just speak to some of the seniors who would have had experience at World Championships as well. They're always really off- kindly offering to help out. Um, I, I know once I was stuck at a competition, I had lost uh, some of my models because they can go really far. And some of the seniors were knocking up new staff, offering to give up their models. It's really quite a kind environment uh, and quite communal at these events. One thing I am worried about is you getting there. Not because I don't trust you in an airport. It's, uh, you know, when I go on holiday with my family, with my mum and dad, like we're dragging along our luggage and we've got big boxes anyway. Whereas you, you're taking loads of rockets over there. How are you getting it there? It is really challenging. We have to work out as a team who brings what. Obviously, there's a bit of, oh, can you take this of mine? Oh, I don't mind taking. And it's sort of grouping together the stuff that you that you need to get there. Um, obviously, some of us are going on separate flights. So, And at the moment, we've got the Heathrow strikes going on. We don't want one flight to be cancelled and then no one can compete. So we've got to split it a little bit. Are you, are you competing separately with Wilf and Charlie or are you all part of the team? It's part of a team. It's it's team events. You you can obviously win individual medals, but when you go out there, it's just your team and it's the best team score that you want to get to get the gold medal. Amazing. Yeah, you don't want the fuselage somewhere and the thruster ending up somewhere else, do you? Well, no. l- listen, <laughs> you're 14, uh, like I'm incredibly into and incredibly good at rockets. I, I guess, where do you go from here? If you wanted to make rocketry a full-time career what options are there available to you yeah so me and the junior team we would really like to go into sort of engineering and rocket science in the future and i think it's a really exciting time actually for space exploration Uh, i know we've got spacex that are just testing their rockets to go to mars Um, nasa with their moon lander as well so we're really on the forefront of a huge wave of space innovation in the UK alone, we, we just had from Virgin their first UK launched rocket that went off a plane uh, in the UK. And we've got up in Scotland a company called Orbex, which are just building their first pad up in Scotland to start try and start launching rockets from the UK. So it is a really exciting time and loads of opportunities to get involved. And I would recommend it here over in the UK. Now, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, like, my school doesn't do anything about rockets. Ted, you set up your own extracurricular club at secondary school for making rockets. So it shows that it, it can be done. You just need to kind of do it. Well, listen, uh, the competition starts on the 1st of July. Make sure you keep a lookout for Team GB Rocketry over in uh, Texas. Ted, best of luck. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Before we finish up this week, let's have a quick trip across the solar system to the smartest school that's out there. We're heading to Deep Space High. We've been learning for the last few weeks with Professor Pulsar and the class all about Mars and the Mars rovers and what they're down there for, what they're digging for, why we're trying to find more of them, how we're looking for life. And this week, we've been set some homework with Sam. To find out more about robots used in exploring Mars and what they might be like in the future. Deep Space High, Destination Mars.
All right, that's the end of the lesson for today, but don't forget your homework. How robots might be used in the future to explore space. Find out as much as you can and submit it online tonight. Class dismissed. Right, let's see what I can find out. I found this website on remarkable robots where you can tap in a question and get an answer from an expert. So, a history of robots, eh? Do you think robots will be able to do stuff without being coded? Some robots are coded to learn so that they can start to create their own code. This is very advanced AI, but at this stage is something under development, but may be possible in the future. Cool. Oh, wow. Do you think teleportation with robots is possible? Not yet. At least not in a truly literal sense. Part of the great thing about robots, though, is the possibility of operating them remotely. So in a sense, you are teleporting your presence to another place and interacting with the environment there via your robot. That is a kind of teleporting. Kind of, I guess. Here's another good one. If robots more intelligent than humans are created... Will they be able to create robots more intelligent than themselves and so on? What will be the limit to infinite intelligence? Wow, kid, that is a tricky one. I suppose you've almost answered that in your own question, in that if intelligence is infinite, it doesn't have a limit. It depends how we measure intelligence, though. Being intelligent is not the same thing as being creative or having common sense or being innovative. Many people think we will always limit robots in some way so that we always stay the masters. Yeah, we don't want the robots taking charge. One last question. A lot of space rovers look kind of the same. Might future robots look different? Well, at the moment, many robots are orbiters or landers doing similar jobs on similar rocky planets. Some planets and moons in our solar system, such as Europa, have thick layers of liquids or gases, and so maybe robots to those planets will look more like submarines. Thanks, Remarkable Robots. I'm ready to upload my answers. Deep Space High, Destination Mars. Support from the UK Space Agency. Find out more at funkidslive.com. Slash space. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Uh, we will have more amazing adventures around the universe for you next week. And you can always get loads more than that over on Fun Kids Podcast Plus, where you've got exclusive episode of all of your favourite podcasts and they're completely ad-free too. To find out more about that, get to Apple and you can tap Try Free over at funkidslive.com. You've got loads more uh, brilliant series that we do, by the way. Wherever you get your shows, they're on the free Fun Kids app too. And Fun Kids are our children's radio station from the UK. You can listen all over the country on your DAB digital radio and at funkidslive.com.